I pulled up to that same intersection. <laughs> you think I'm making this up? I'm not making this up. I pulled up to that same intersection, and there was a pint of ice cream sitting <laughs> in that same yellow zone on the side of the road. I really think God is trying to tell me something. I think he's trying to speak to me about this. I do know this. If I have to ever have to sit on the corner and ask for money, I, that's the corner I'm sitting on. Because <laughs> they get donuts and ice cream there. Um, so I, I, I did want to mention something that, that uh, just will affect some things you're seeing around here and some stuff uh, in the short term. So we've been talking about this for a while, that many of our missionaries have been caught in different ways around the world, um, caught in the countries, can't get to America, caught in America, can't be- get back to their countries. Um, some we've, we've had, we've talked to quite a few missionaries that a spouse is in one country, the other one is in a different country, and they haven't seen each other for months um, because of this, this kind of stuff. We have um, our missionaries to Africa, one of our missionaries to Africa, to South Africa, the Blessings, Chris and Tanya, they're here this morning. They have been caught in America for quite a few months, and uh, they thought a couple weeks ago they were going to be able to go back. South Africa said they were going to be open but now they're making new rules, and, and for some reason Botswana, I think, is the one that they're going off of, and, and uh, they're not going to be back. They can't go back to Africa right now, and they're, they're homeless. And so they, uh, they are living with Lynn and I for a little while because they're homeless, and we help homeless people. And so they're going to be living with us, but, but, but part, that's not really the reason I'm saying that. The reason I'm saying all is because of that, there's an internship, and there's going to be some things. That she's going to do her internship um, through, she looked around like, just, God, show me the best pastor I can do this under. And, um, and so she's going to do this uh, here with us. She can do her internship for ministry. And uh, so you see her doing some things and stuff, but this isn't, it's not like they're new to us. Uh, 20 years ago, they were in our church east of Denver, and Tanya did operate quite a bit um, as, as a minister in our church and like a, a, an associate of ours, she did a lot of speaking for me and things like that. So this is not uh, new for me. It'll just be new for you. So tell me what you think ab- about them through the process. If you think they're doing good or bad, just let me know. Um, just give them like a, a, a weekly grade. That'd be a great way to do that, I think. So uh, I, I mentioned to you to be praying for... So about a month ago, made commitments to pray and fast at least once a week. I want to continue to urge you to continue to do this. Please be praying and fasting for our country uh, for this election coming up. This is, this is not the same as it's been before. I, I, was, I heard a, a guy on, on a line this week talking about it with a vlog he has, and he was talking about this is just an election. It doesn't mean anything any different than any other election. When this is a, election is over, we'll go back to being a country just like we always have. Guys, that's a very dangerous thing to be thinking right now. Um, our country is in a very uh, difficult place. And this is, uh, hands down, the most uh, important election we've had in our history, except maybe the election of Abraham Lincoln. I mean, literally, this is, this is extremely crucial. Um, because this is something that I don't think the church has caught up to quite yet. Uh, we've been in, a, in like a civil war for a while. And the church has not been paying attention to this. We don't know it. Uh, we haven't been watching. Uh, one of the ways that we know this is, I mean, Satan declared church, war on the church long before Scripture tells us that, um, that Satan has been attacking. What I read last week, that from the very beginning, is he's looking to, to who you can control and these kind of things. But just simply in the last 50, 60 years, we've seen where 
where abortion has become so rampant, Satan is not only attacking, but he's winning major parts of this war. And the church has been um, almost non-existent in some of these arenas. Guys, we, we are in a war and we don't know it. Uh, so we need to be praying. We really need to be praying. And as I mentioned last week, we need to be praying about uh, for our Supreme Court nominee, Amy Coney Barrett. I, I was watching a lot of this this week. I've been keeping up with, in fact, I just have it running in my office the whole time. And uh, every now and then I'll pay attention. I try, I try not to mute the liberals. Uh, but, you know, there's only, especially if I'm eating lunch, there's only so much I can take. Just the blatant, just a blatant disrespect, evil lies kind of mentality that's happening. Because we're in a war and we don't even realize it. Continue to pray for her, although I will say that is a very strong woman. She is strong. She is solid. Um, she is the kind of, of women that we need to put on pedestals and make sure people in our country are paying attention to. Uh, she's an amazing woman. But continue to pray for her. This is difficult. She said during one of this that that uh, one of her children um, literally, he was in there, I think, with her, and then she, he left and just sat out, went outside and just sat and cried for a while because people were talking about his mom like this. Um, just pray for her, okay? Continue to do that. So, so with that, the reason I say that <clears throat> is with, um, I was thinking about her, and I was thinking about some of the stuff, and again, <clears throat> I've been praying for her this week, and I, and I thought about this, two, two basic things kind of uh, propelled me to, to process some of what I'm going to be saying this morning, that I was wondering if any of you in here, and you put yourself in this place, if you desire, uh, if you were put in the place that, that um, Barrett is right now, that you had to sit in that seat in front of the whole nation, cameras, everybody, and have people say whatever they wanted to say about you, true or not, and claim it to be true, or accuse you of things, or look at your past and say things about your past and bring up stuff. Think about if you were sitting there, how difficult this would be at this moment. And let's, let's just assume that nobody brought up falsehoods, that all they, all they could bring up were truths. I still think that would be uncomfortable for most of us in this room, would it not? You, you don't want everything of your past brought up. Now, I know that I'm forgiven and, and the stuff in my past is under the blood of Jesus. I understand that. But I don't want people to know about it. It's under the blood of Jesus, and Jesus himself said that it was bad enough he wanted to forget it. <laughs> so I don't want that stuff brought up, but I was thinking about this, and who, who are you? You process this information for yourself. This, this whole thing this week is just, this morning is just specifically, you, you process as we walk down, down through this. Put yourself into every single one of these sentences. Who are you? Who are you in, in your existence? Who are you in your spiritual walk, in your Christian walk? Who are you in... in um, and the way you look at, at yourself and the way you look at God. Again, the way you look at God determines greatly how you're going to serve. It, determines, it completely determines how you're going to serve it. If, if on a scale from like 1 to 100, and this is linear, so it doesn't really work for God, but if God, if God is at 100, Jesus is at 100, and um, you guys playing cards back there? What's going on? So if, if uh, Jesus is at 100, where are you on the scale in relationship to close to him? Right? You, you analyze that yourself. Where are you in understanding, like mind understanding and cognitive understanding and spiritual understanding and, and understanding his love and his word and all these things? Where are you on the scale? Because let's say you're a six, right? That means that's how you serve Jesus. That's the, that's the circle that you serve Jesus. 
That's the, the world. That's your worldview. That's how you serve God and understand him. And it's going to be very limited in relationship to God. Now, that's not totally bad within itself because nobody's over, all the way over to the hundred. Nobody is. But wherever you are, you should be trying to move that direction. You should be trying to grow in knowledge and understanding because the only thing that is limiting God in your life is how you understand him. How you understand his love for you and his grace and his mercy and his, and his word. The, the things that are hindering you are, are completely at your feet. You can change those. You can, you can transform them. You can move forward. You can do a lot of things. So to really process, this is who I am, and this is where God wants me to be moving along, uh, th that's how you're going to serve God. It's how you're going to understand God. It's how you're going to know God. And so um, turn with me to Psalms. We're going to, um, we're going to, we're going to look at, th this is David saying this, and, and, and there's another thing that kind of has been in my mind a lot lately, and it's kind of part of some of these messages over the last few weeks is this, when the Israelites are, are held captive in um, Egypt, and, and there's this sentence where it says that God heard their cries. I, I've been thinking about that a lot because it doesn't really qualify that a little bit, at least not enough for me. I'd like, I'd like, them, I'd like Scripture to say this is what this means, or, or this is the people, or whatever. Because see, it doesn't appear, even though that we know that there was a priesthood before this, it wasn't defined like it was uh, just in the very near future after this, when, the, when Moses sat down in the, in the Mosaic Covenant and he begins to define certain things, including the priesthood, we know it exists from just a couple little sentences along the way from, from the beginning of Genesis all the way up until this point to the Exodus. We know the priesthood exists, but we don't know where the leadership is. We don't see this. We know what Chizedek was one of them, but we don't know anything else. So was there a priesthood when they were in Egypt? All these different things. I, I, it doesn't appear that there was any kind of structured, organize, organized leadership. But it still says God heard their cries. So who? It's not, it's not the leadership. Um, God heard their cries. Who are these people? And here's a question. How many of them were there? Because, see, I think the, the cries of the people are, are people like you and I. They're, it's the us. It's not some kind of formal, structured, although I guess I'm a formal, structured church leader. But, but pretend like I'm not. <laughs> pretend like I'm a commoner like all of you guys. Um. That's who was crying out to God. That's is people just saying, God, I, I want to know you. And God, we need rescued. We're in slavery. We need rescued. And it says that God heard them cry out. See, I don't think the, the number of people, the number of the us is important near as much as the heart of the us. And if, and if we want God to be in control, if we're crying out to him, I, I don't think it takes a lot of people. I don't think it takes the masses I think it just takes people crying out to God and saying, we need you. Forgive our land. Heal our land. God, take care of us. Bless us with your presence. And so in looking at those two things, let's go to Psalms 26. And David wrote this. And uh, the best that we can tell, I, I think this is pretty, I can say this pretty confidently in understanding Scripture. This is before uh, David does the whole Bathsheba uh, kerfuffle. Um, he, he had not... Uh, committed these sins. He had not done this with Bathsheba. He hadn't hit, killed her husband or anything yet. Part of the reason we know that is you can look at a timeline through Psalms, through the writing of David, and you can tell when he comes to the point where he is repenting for what happened with Bathsheba, and that's in the, um, that's in the, the 50s chapters time frame, okay? This is still fairly early, and so we don't see where, where, where David has done this, but it is interesting to me that later on when he is repenting of um, 
of the Bathsheba thing, and he says, create me a clean heart, oh God, don't, don't pass me by with your spirit. All these different things that are there has some of the same language that he's going to use right here. Because here's one of the things that I, that I found with David. David had a lot of problems. He, he was a great man, and he was a horrible man at the same time. He was a great warrior, and he did stupid things as a warrior. He was a great king, and he was a horrible king. He was a, a great leader of people, but he couldn't even lead his family. I mean, you see these dichotomies going constantly, these, these, um, these disagreements, tensions throughout David's life. Now, here's one thing that we see consistent with David. Scripture says he was a man after God's heart, and that never appears to waver anywhere. That he was always passionate about God. He loved God, and he, and he wanted to be close to God. And that's when we see little moments in Scripture where he comes back from the battle and he's dancing and his wife gets all embarrassed because he's dancing in such a way it's showing his underblooms. I mean, there's, a, there's problems, right? But here's the thing with me is I would much rather be so passionate about God i got to worry about that stuff. I, this is one of the things that, that gets missed in Scripture sometimes is David was way more in, uh, enthusiastic about worshiping God than anything anybody thought about him. I, I think the church could use a dose of that. In, in, in today's society. Now, wear appropriate clothes because we don't want to see your other blooms. But the, the, the reality is, is worship God, serve God, go after God. And this is what David does. He says, he says this, and it appears to be fairly arrogant. But I don't think it's arrogant if you really look at the, the, the whole thing. So we're going to break this down. Psalms 26, verse 1. He says, Declare me innocent, O Lord, for I have acted with integrity. This is one of the things I think is important. As a Christian, there is nothing wrong with you acknowledging when you are serving God. I don't think that's arrogance. I don't think it's, let, let me just broaden this a little bit. I don't think it's arrogance to say um, that, that you're good at something. Okay? We have this uh, mentality that's a, it's a, kind of a faux humility thing that goes on in our culture. It's, it's a cultural thing where we're not allowed to brag on something that we do well. But here is what I believe about this. You don't do anything well without God giving you the ability somewhere in the process. Now, through that, you can, you can learn, you can get better at it, you can understand things, you can practice, whatever the case is. But you, you, you are good at something because God is a creator of you. Not, not because specifically you. There's nothing wrong with celebrating that. Now, you can obviously go into a a place of arrogance with it when it becomes about you, just about you. But I don't think there's anything wrong with saying, hey, this person was good at this. Um, this is one of the things, I've said this for years, and this is weird to say this now because um, he just passed away this last week or two, but I, I had always prayed for the moment when Eddie Van Halen got saved and came to our church. <laughs> I always wanted to see that. Why? Because that man was given a talent by God. He just never used it for God. But his talent came from God. You don't, you don't do the things he did, especially in the time frame he did it, and it not be a God thing, that God gave him that ability. And, and we have a hard time in the church acknowledging that stuff. The difference is, is he should have used it for God, and he didn't. And at some level, and I hate to say this because I'm a, I'm a fan of music, but he wasted it because he didn't use it for God. He could have done some amazing things for the king who gave it to him. That's the same with you. There's nothing wrong with saying, I, I follow God. I'm a person of integrity. I'm an honest person. I do the things God has called me to do. I, there's nothing wrong with that. Be, be careful that it doesn't get in and become something 
um, arrogant or, or, or um, self-promoting um, uh, or something like that. But there's nothing wrong. David is not being arrogant here. He's acknowledging something. Declare me innocent, O Lord, for I have acted with integrity. I have trusted in the Lord without wavering. That's a great sentence. Now, here's where it gets a little difficult for us. He says, put me on trial, Lord, and cross-examine me. Test my motives and my heart. Do you, can you say, this is between you and God. It's not between uh, any of us and you right now. This is between you and God. Can you say to God, totally honestly, God, examine me. Examine my heart. You, you test me. You test me. Another, play, another way to say that would be the way that David says it after um, the Bathsheba thing was when he says, uh, make this, lay this bare to everybody else. Make this known. That's where it gets a little difficult, right? Not just, Lord, examine my heart, but, but examine it publicly. That's where it becomes challenging. Again, I don't want everybody to know all the things in my past. But I, but I would say this. There's nothing in my past that if it came out, I would be running from it or lying about it or anything else. A lot of things I don't like about my past, but I also know that I can stand in confidence saying that Jesus has forgiven me. And that I'm a person of integrity, and I, and I don't... I don't mind uh, saying that. I don't, think that's, I don't think that's arrogance, okay? He says, put me on trial, cross-examine me, test my motives and my heart. And this is the reason that he can say this, for I'm always aware of your unfailing love. The reason that I don't have a problem with the Lord examine me is, examining me is because he is, I, I recognize, I'm aware that he is full of unfailing love. In other words, if he examines me, it's going to be through who he is as love, not just in love. He's not just doing it with love. He is love. So when he examines me, it's through that complete lens all the time. And he can test me and examine me any he wants because I know at the end of that, it's going to be the best for me because he completely 100% loves me. And if I can go into it, and this is what David is saying. David gets this in a way I don't think everybody in Scripture gets it. There's only a handful of people that I see all through Scripture that totally understands that, that, that God loves them and that they love him back. David is one of the few. I think Enoch is one of these guys where they get it. They, Enoch was walking with God. He was, he was so close to God that one day he takes a step on this earth and the next step he takes is in a complete different dimension, dynamic, in co direct connection and, and, um, and um in the same space as God. That, that blows my mind, partly because I don't understand the, the dimension thing there. I don't think, you know, we always talk about heaven like it's up in the sky in the clouds. And there's some scripture that would show us that that's not a, a complete wrong way to look at it. But I don't think that's, I don't think it captures it. I don't think Enoch took a step on this earth and the next step he's in the clouds. I don't think that's what happened. It's a, it's a dimension thing. It's a it's outside our scope to understand as limited humans. He's walking with God, and then he's so much out of relationship with God. that God just said, I'm tired of you having to stay here on earth. There's a lot of cool things I want you to see. Come on with me. And he steps into the presence of God. There's very few people that, were, that had this understanding. David's one of these guys. No matter what he did, right or wrong, he knew. He knew God, and he knew God loved him. And that's why he could say, God, you examine me. In fact, he says many times through Scripture, I would much rather have you examine me than, than earthly people, earthly kings. Because if God, you examine me, it's going to be amazing. 
It may be difficult. There may be discipline involved. But it's going to be amazing. Because you're God. I, have always, I am always aware of your unfailing love. And I have lived according to your truth. It's a great statement. I do not spend time with liars or go along with hypocrites. I hate the gatherings of those who do evil. I hate, I hate the gatherings of those who do evil. Not the people themselves, but the moments, the events, the time frames. Do we hate sin or do we not hate sin? Scripture is very clear. If we don't hate sin, not just not involved with it, but if we don't hate sin, then, then there is some problem in our relationship with God. There's enmity between us and God because God hates sin. He does not want it having anything to do with any of us. And, he, and, and if we can't hate sin, if, if somehow we like it a little bit or we're enticed by it like I was talking last week, there's something wrong. There's a disconnect somewhere that we've got to get right. We've got to hate sin because it's destructive. Satan is trying to destroy. He says, I hate the gatherings of those who do evil and I refuse to join in with the wicked. I wash my hands to declare my innocence. This is, this is I, think, I think this is important as he's walking down through these things, this sin stuff, that this idea that, that he knows that God loves him, but at the same time, God tests me because I know there's evil and he names this stuff and I don't want to have anything to do with it because, because God is also holy. He is love, but he is also completely holy. He is the, he is the definition of holy. This is why discipline is such a big deal. Discipline for us personally and discipline like for our children and things like that. We, uh, my granddaughter was on the phone this week. She, she calls every. She doesn't call. She's two and a half. Um, her dad calls on the way to preschool. It's about a four or five minute ride on the way to preschool every day. He calls and, and, and Eloise talks with Honey most of the time and then, and then sometimes I'm on too. And the other day she called and she was irritated or something, I don't know. But she said, no, honey, which means she doesn't want to talk to honey. Um, she always wants to talk to Papa, but she, doesn't, she didn't want to talk to honey. And so she said, no, honey. And then so Linda switched gears or something, started talking to Jonathan or whatever. And, and, and then she said something about, well, I'll talk to Bubba. Where's my Bubba? That's her three-month-old brother, right? And that made her irritated, so she said, shut up, Bubba. Because I guess he was out of line with some things he was telling her or something. I don't know. <laughs> but now all of a sudden, you know, Jonathan's in the front seat and he's talking. All of a sudden, now Jonathan's upset. Uh, Eloise, we do not talk like that. We do not use the word shut up. We do not talk to Bubba. And now all of a sudden, she's in trouble. Now, you know, for me, I think those things are greatly entertaining. <laughs> and specifically to, when it happens to my children's children. So... But, but here's the thing, is he had to stop and take care of that. Why? Remember what I talked about a couple weeks ago about the authority thing in the family and some stuff like that. Guys, the idea of authority is something that you didn't just start and you get to just choose, well, I don't know if, if I should discipline my children or not. As your children, it is, it, your children are depending on you to discipline them. They don't know it, but they are because you, your responsibility is to show them authority, show them right and wrong, and hold them accountable for this right and wrong. Why? Ultimately, what David is saying is because God loves us. Now, follow my train of thought here. God loves us, so he gives us himself. He gives us a pure, completely holy, non-sinning, uh, uh, transcendent God, majestic above everything. And he says to little human beings that sin, he says, I want a relationship with you. That's the whole point of this thing is relationship. Everything is about relationship with God. 
And he says, I want relationship with you. When, when that transcendent, majestic, holy God does that, there is a responsibility to, for us to try to be more like him and less like Satan. There's a responsibility that we would love God more, that we would surrender ourselves more, that we would try the best that we can possibly be to be less sinful, less buying into what Satan says, and more buying into what God says because we're loving him back. That's the concept of this. And so something simple like discipline, it's so very vital. It's so very important. First, guys, to let God discipline you. This is huge because... Um, you don't have to do that. Now, God will push in your life. If you're trying to serve him at all, he will push into your life and bring discipline in your life. But as I read last week, if you just get to a point where you say, I'm not interested, God, I don't care what you say, he'll back off from you. And he will turn you, as scripture says, he will turn you over to your own sinful desires. You don't want to be that place. You want him to be pushing and disciplining in your life. The best case scenario is respond to it. When God convicts you and shows you something, respond to it. God, I, how can I make this better? What can I do here? Why? Because he loves you. That's the point. Think about this. We, we miss this sometimes in, in the big scheme of things. You realize that God was not obligated to tell you he was there? He didn't have to tell Adam and Eve he was there. He could have just made this thing, put Adam and Eve there, created them, and then let them figure it out. And then, he, because he is holy and righteous, he could have then judged them, and he would have had every right to do that. Even if he didn't tell them he was there. It is his love for us that caused him to tell us, hey, I'm here. And here's the next step. It's his love for us that had him step down into the garden and walk with Adam and Eve in the garden. On this tiny little planet that he created, and these tiny little people he put on the planet, and this transcendent holy God steps into this garden and just says, hey, what's up? Let's hang out. Let's talk. Why? Because he loves us. That's the point. And then he has all these people over thousands of years write the Bible, what we call the Bible. These are books and stories about who God is and who we are in relationship. Why? Because he loves us. He didn't have to write the Bible. Didn't have to have it. I hear people all the time say, well, there's not a, there's not a manual for parenting. There is a manual for parenting. It's called the Bible. Don't say there's not a manual. There is. And there's a lot of stuff in this manual about parenting. Well, there's not a manual about finances. There is. It's called the Bible. There's a manual for everything you need for life and godliness. Everything you need, there's a manual for it. It's the Bible. And God does this. Why? Because he loves you. And he wants to pull you in close to him. And it's amazing as Christians how much we push against and keep him in arm's distance. Push against, push against. Instead of just saying, Lord, I'm here. What do you want? I need you. I need close to you. And you want me. And so there we go. And just, just let him take you into his presence. <clears throat> but we push against this stuff. <clears throat> he says... I love your sanctuary, Lord. Let me, let me back up. I wash, one verse, I've washed my hands to declare my innocence. I, I come to your altar, O Lord, singing a song of thanksgiving and tell of, telling of all your wonders. I, I love the songs that we sing. In fact, this that last one we sing so a lot. I love that song. I, uh, the last time, I, th I think I was on my way to India, 
and I was in an airplane, I listened to that song, just looped it for like 12 straight hours. And then I catch myself, because I do this at home too, my kids give me a hard time. Um, I, I, I start singing out loud, and I don't realize it because I have noise-canceling headphones on, which if you, if you ever fly a lot, great investment. Noise-canceling. That baby behind you doesn't exist. Put them on, everything's loud, turn the button. So I'm listening to this, and I catch myself singing out loud, right? And if you know what headphones do to you, you think you're singing like this. You're not. You're screaming at the top of your voice. But I, I sing that song. I sing that song. Lord, if, uh, if the trees declare you, I'm going to declare you. If the rocks declare I'm going to declare you. And you could add anything. The skies, the mountains declare you, the birds declare you. All these things are amazing gifts that God has given us that declare his glory. When you see the birds, it's God shouting out, I'm here. When you see the mountains, it's God shouting out, I'm here. When you see the prairie dogs digging little holes in the ground, it's proof they're Satan. Right? You guys get it. You're like, oh, that spoke to me right there. <laughs> so, so here's the th- thing. When he says we sing a song of thanksgiving, we tell him, all of our, of, tell him of, of the, his wonders. Tell everybody of his wonders. You don't have to sing a song that somebody else has written that we put on the screens. You, you can do what the New Testament says. You can also sing a new song to the Lord. Try this. Try this when you're sitting at home and you're just praying and talking to God. Just begin to sing. Now, if you say, well, I'm not the greatest singer, you don't have to do it when people are around. In fact, it might be a blessing that you don't. But just begin to sing from your spirit and tell God the things that he has done. You'd be amazed how the Lord will well up within your spirit because he loves to hear it from you, not you saying what somebody else said. The songs we sing are fine. I'm not picking on the worship songs. Guys, don't limit it to that. Tell God how you feel from you. Let that be. That's, that's something about when I, when I get online and uh, FaceTime or whatever and I see my granddaughter. Anytime I pop on the screen, she immediately says, Hi, Papa. Man, my world is great. My world is great. My, my son thinks that we want to talk to him. <laughs> and so he'll be telling me things. I'm like, yeah. You know, but when she says, Hi, Papa. Don't you, don't you think God loves it when you say that to him? When you just tell him, just, just take him in. We're going to do this actually at the end of the service. But if you, if you just tell him, when's the last time, you say it that way, when's the last time you just said, God, I love you? And, you? and from your heart, God, I love you. I just love you. That means everything. The greatness of who he is, the, his glory, his judgment, his conviction, everything. Lord, I love you. I want to tell all of your wonders. I want to shout these things out. I want people to know how amazing I think you are. Not just how amazing you are, but that I believe this. I love your sanctuary, Lord, the place where your glorious presence dwells. This is one of the things. I know it's not in a direct correlation, but I think it's close enough for us to understand. There's something about getting together with other Christians and worshiping. We We should desire that. That doesn't mean you have to desire to hang out with all of those people. Some of those people you're not going to get along with, you're not going to like. I get that. But being in the sanctuary of God and worshiping together, serving God and praising God together, something about that. You can't, you can't uh, reproduce that in any other setting. That's a spiritual dynamic that has, can only exist in one context, corporate gathering. 
That's powerful. It's great. It's amazing. I love your sanctuary, Lord, the place where your glorious presence dwells. Don't let me suffer the fate of sinners. Don't condemn me along with murderers. Their hands are dirty with evil schemes, and they constantly take bribes. I was thinking about this with all the stuff that's going on in Washington and I, I don't want to put everybody together. I know that there's some legitimate, honest congressmen, senators, those kind of things. But there's something about once they go from the state level to the national level, it gets so corrupted so quickly. And people that, <clears throat> that you knew were good people, people that worked in the state that were good people, they get to Washington and pretty soon they, they, they change. And all of a sudden there's things going on. Let me, let me tell you something. Let me give you a little insight here, okay? Um, this is something, literally 20-something years ago, I heard something on a talk show that began to take me down a mental route that, that, that God illuminated some stuff for me. The talk show, I'll tell you, um, was uh, Rush Limbaugh. I know some people hate that man. I think he's amazing. I think he's the smartest guy ever, and I think but God put him on this planet. You make your own decision, but... I think he's amazing. And he said something that got me thinking about this. And I realized over time, now 30 years of ministry, I realized that when people attack you, this is what's happening in Washington right now. When people attack you, specifically if you know they're making things up and it's not true. Because that's happened to me before. It's happened to you. I've been attacked before where people just completely make some up and lie. And you're thinking, why would they do that? Where did that come from? Let me give you some insight. When that happens, what they are doing is they are revealing to you who they are. They are revealing to you what they are capable of. Not what you're capable of. They're not revealing you. They're revealing themselves. This, this is, they, uh, here's, we're seeing this right now unfold in our society. Where for four years, we've seen... The, the, the whole liberal mentality in America attacking President Trump for Russian collusion, Russian collusion, Russian collusion, right? No evidence. They didn't actually found anything. There was no evidence. But attack, 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 Russian collusion. Now what are we finding out? There was Russian collusion to the tune of billions of dollars. And it was the president, the vice president, and his son, and Hillary Clinton. That's why they attacked so much, because it was them it's what they were doing. And when, when evil does evil, it attacks good and blames it on the good. Always happens like that. That's why when you're sitting here like, why is somebody saying this about me? That's not who I am. I didn't do this. They're just showing you who they are. What are you supposed to do? This is where it gets difficult. You're supposed to love them like God loves them. We're going to get more to that as we get to the end because that's the difficult part of all of this. He says, don't commend, condemn me along with the murderers. Their hands are dirty with evil schemes, and they constantly take bribes. But I am not like that. Make a decision. I am not like that. By the way, this doesn't just happen in Washington. It happens sometimes right in your work context where you are. Somebody gets a raise, and all of a sudden they're not the same person anymore. Not a raise, a promotion. And all of a sudden they're not the same person anymore. This happens at every level. We become, we, we allow the context to change us rather than we change the context. Be who God's called you to be in every setting. You say, well, I can't move up. I can't promote. I can't whatever if I, if I am that person. You let God worry about that. 
You'd be amazed at what God can do in any circumstance. You be who God calls you to be. Don't change. Don't take the, the mentality here. Don't take the bribes. Don't become part of the system. You be who God's called you to be. And you let God take care of you. Well, what if this doesn't happen? Let God worry about that stuff. Because we put too much emphasis on us trying to get us somewhere. Instead of saying, okay, but God is the one. If he, if he breathed air into my lungs, I think he can take care of everything else. If he put the cells in my body together, I think he can take care of everything else. But man, that gets difficult the longer you live, right? The longer you live, the more we feel like we got to do it. I feel like I'm swinging a different place this, this, this stage of my life. As I get older, I feel like I'm letting more and more go to God. For years, I had to control it and had to, 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 to be in charge of it and, and guide it and mandate and all this other stuff. And I feel like as I'm getting older, I'm just like, okay, God, take it. Whatever. Just take care of it. Sometimes. I, I say that like it's a lot more than it really is in my life. But he says, but I'm not like that. I live with integrity. So redeem me and show me mercy. Now I stand on solid ground and I will publicly praise the Lord. I will publicly praise the Lord. Do we serve God in every context? Do your coworkers even know you're a Christian? That's a big one, right? If, if like I, I, I showed up at your job one day, would you introduce me as your pastor? <laughs> I, ha- I had that happen years ago. I showed up at this um, uh, uh, paper mill. We had like 30 guys in the church that worked at this paper mill, more than that. And uh, I showed up, they had this breakfast, I was going to be speaking and doing some things, I show up, and there was a bunch of guys that didn't know, I didn't tell anybody ahead of time, they show up at this breakfast between shifts and things, and, I, and they walk in, and I'm standing there. And some of them got this, you know, they're looking at their friends like, you know, don't tell them I go to church. Dude, I don't need to go down that road anymore. Okay, First John chapter 4, now this, this is the New Testament part, I believe it's, it's the... I think it's saying the same things that, that David was saying here in the, in the Old Testament part. And, he, and, and um, John is reiterating some of this. Which, by the way, you guys remember what John called himself through the entire Gospel of John? The disciple whom Jesus loved. Isn't that great? And nobody said, I don't know. They, they confirmed that with him. Think about this. At the, uh, at the Last Supper, we see they're, they're talking about, you know, the guys all around the table. And then it talks about John. Now, John's the one saying it. But John talks about how he is, he is um, kicked back, leaning on Jesus' chest. Just hanging, hanging out with his head on Jesus' chest. Now, some of you males in here, you're like, that's not really me. Now, think about this. You're saying if it's Jesus, you don't want to put your head on his chest? Well, we're both dudes, so think about this. It's Jesus. You you don't want to put your head on his chest? John was, he just loved Jesus. He just loved Jesus. He's one of these same guys, I think he gets it at a different level. And so he's the one who's writing this now. And he says, furthermore, we have seen with our own eyes and now testify that the Father sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. This, this is all about relationship. 
What David was saying was relationship. What John is saying, it's all relationship. It's not just doing the stuff and going by the rules and all the things that we do. We get caught up so much in, in Christianity. It's about pursuing God with everything about you. All who declare that Jesus is the Son of God have God living in them. I've often wondered, I've said this in a lot of different ways over the years, but I've often wondered about people that, Christians, that serve God day after day after day. And, and I'm not picking on whether they're saved or not. This is just a disconnect for me. They read God's Word, they go to church, they do all the stuff that they're supposed to do, but they've never declared Jesus to somebody else. They've never what we call witness. They've never declared him to somebody else. This is my question. Why? Why? Well, it's not that easy. I don't agree with that. I've talked to a lot of people about Jesus over the years, and it's amazing how receptive people are to that. The church is convinced itself that nobody wants to hear this message. Oh, you've got a few people. You've got a small group of people in our society today that are so anti-Jesus, they would be uh, in, in contrast to it or in conflict with it. But most people, they want to know. They don't mind you talking to them. Now, how you do it might, you know, if you stand on the street corner with the signboard, um, burn or turn, turn or burn, you know, that kind of thing. That's not, that's not what I'm talking about, right? But somebody that you really care, a coworker, friend, relative, something, you, and you really declare Jesus. Why? Because you love them and you love Jesus. Why? Why do we not declare him? Why do we not tell people about him? Guys, let the Holy Spirit stir in us. Let the Holy Spirit get inside your mind, your spirit, and show you you can do this. And it's, and it's, and it's good. It's fun. It's exciting. Because why? Because you love God. And you like to, I, I tell people about my granddaughter everywhere I go. I do. I have her on my phone. And I'll sit in a restaurant and the waitress will come by and say, you want to see my granddaughter? I don't wait for her to say yes or no. <laughs> Plus, she's a waitress. Guess what her answer has to be? I would love to see your granddaughter. Now I got little Bubba too, little squirt thing about this big. Because Why? And I just love these kids. I don't care if anybody else likes them. I don't, I don't care if I'm offending somebody if I talk about my grandchild or if it's not okay to talk about my grandchild in the workplace. Somebody might get it. Who cares about all that stuff? It's my grandkid. You can figure out how you feel about it. I know how I feel about it. You, you get what I'm saying. So he says, all who declare Jesus is the son of God have God living in them, and they live in God. For we know how much God loves us, and we have put our trust in His love. Now look at this. God is love, and all who live in His love live in God, and God lives in them. Because He is love. It's not something He brings to the table. It is who He is. As we live in God, our love grows more perfect. And it can grow. Our love for God can and should grow. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment. Same thing David said. You can, you can examine me. You can test me. I'm not worried about this judgment thing. Why? Because I love God. If you love Him, you're not worried about meeting Him someday. You're looking forward to meeting Him someday. If you're worried about it, it's because there's something else going on. There's some, there's some sin issues or something that you know is not right, and that's why you're worried about meeting Him someday. 
If you love him, you're looking forward to it. It's no big deal. You're, you're actually kind of excited about it. Now, I, I don't, I don't want to die today. There's a lot of things that I want to do and I want to take care of. I want to see my other two children have children. There's other things that I would like to see. <laughs> but, but here's the thing with that is, but I'm also okay if Jesus says, no, you're, you're done. I, let's go. I'm totally okay with that too. There's, there's a part of me that says, but I'll miss all the stuff here. Complete perfect sense in a spiritual sense. So in other words, we're seeing it transcendently. This is what uh, uh, Hebrews 12 talks about. And, and because of that, I think we see it better than we would see on this earth. It sounds like, I don't think we interact the same. We're not here on earth, but I think we see it from the eyes of Jesus in a transcendence. And it's better. I get to see it all instead of just from the outside physically. So why should we be afraid of judgment? We get to see Jesus. And, and if you are worried about something because of judgment, before you leave here this morning, talk to the Lord about it. Ask Him to forgive you. Get it clean. Get it fixed. Get it worked out. And then start heading the direction He needs you to go. It's not as difficult as we make it sometimes. Just do what the Lord has asked you to do. We will not be afraid of the day of judgment. But we can face Him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. Such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. I really believe that fear is a fear is a um, is a should be a red flag to you that somewhere somewhere in your spirit in your mind you're not surrendering that area or something to God. That should be a red flag because if you truly um, love God and you truly are pursuing Him, then that means you know He's taking care of you. What can get to you? What can harm you? What can hurt you? If God is in charge of you and he's the one protecting you, it's complete. Why, why do we have? Now, I know that all through this room, there's different fears. People give me a hard time because I'm scared of spiders. I'm not scared of spiders. I have an understanding that they're evil. That's a difference. <laughs> and people are like, the little spider up in the corner, he's your roommate. He is waiting to kill me. That's not fear. I'm not scared of anything. So, but, but here's what I have found. When I really, in my spirit, when, when there's something really that begins to, to rise up with tension and, and, and anxiety and, and, and fear, it's usually because, well, it's always because that area of my life, I'm not completely surrendering over to God. God, you can have it. You can have it. You can have it. And when we do that, he begins, I used to tell this to Linda when she used to be afraid of flying. She's not as much anymore. Sometimes she just gets really drugged up and drunk when she gets on flights. So, no, that's not true. She doesn't. I get in trouble when I say that stuff. But when, years ago, she would just grab my hands and just claw into my hands. I mean, I'd be having fingernail bleeding points in my hand. And, and as, as the plane's taken off, and I would, I would say to her, if God can take care of you on the ground, why can't he take care of you in the air? What's the difference? If God can take care of you in a car, why can't he take care of you in a plane? In fact, God's, God's uh, percentage of success is much better of taking care of people in planes. <laughs> I would also say, if this plane bursts into a big ball of fire and crashes to the ground, can you change it? And it didn't calm her down. I don't know. <laughs> I think the problem is her. So, such love has no fear because why? 
Perfect love, which is God love, perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it's for fear of punishment. And this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. We love each other because he loved us first. If someone says, I love God, but hates a fellow believer, that person's a liar. Because you can't get much stronger than that. If you say you love God, but you can't love other Christians, you're lying. John said this. Holy Spirit said this. I didn't say this. So things like forgiving people, that, that's, that's a God love thing. That's a God grace thing. Loving people is a God thing first. God loves, so then we love. God forgives, so then we forgive. God gives us grace, so we give grace. You want to stop God's love, forgiveness, and grace in your life? Stop loving and forgiving and having grace in other people's lives. And it'll stop immediately. Because God's not going to force grace through your life. He's not going to force His love through your life. He's not going to force forgiveness through your life. If you stop it, it stops. Not because He wants to, but because you have chosen to not have it in your existence. This is, this is as important as it gets for us. You can't say you love God and hate Christians. For if we don't love people we can see, how can we love God whom we can't see? And he has given us this command. Those who love God must also love fellow believers. This is something that God's really been working on me about for quite a few weeks now, and, and specifically the last couple weeks. When, when I sit there and watch that senator from Hawaii just shred Amy Coney Barrett and just make stuff up and interrupt her and lie about things and that's an evil woman. She is, she's evil. Man, I get so angry, and I, I, my heart gets in a wrong place. And, and, and God keeps telling me, but I love her. I'm like, are you sure, God? Why have you watched CNN lately? Does God love her? Yes, he does. And guys, you know what? I'm supposed to, too. Man, that's convicting. Because I can't stand that woman. God says, it doesn't matter. You've got to love her. Why? Because God loves me. And I'm no more worthy of love than she is. As we've got to be careful in political seasons and things like this. When you see this stuff, it is difficult for me to, to love Antifa rioters. It is difficult. I, I, the other day I was watching them bust into a building and burn it down, all this stuff. And I thought it would be great if just this whole ceiling fell down and killed all of them right now. You think that's what Jesus wants? I'm not sure he doesn't, but I'm just saying, do you think? See, here's the thing. We're supposed to love. Why? Because God loves us first. That's why we love, because he loves you. So you've got to love others. Doesn't mean you, can, you have to like them or like what they're doing, but you've got to love them. You've got to care for their soul. You don't want them to die before they accept Jesus. They don't get it yet. So I, I just summed it up with five things. God loved us first, therefore we love. Second thing, Jesus love, love declares that Jesus is God. When you love, it declares that Jesus is God, physically and then verbally. Three, growing up in God grows our love. Growing in God grows our love. It's not something that just happens. It's not passive. It has to be active. Growing in God grows our love. Number four, all fear is driven out by love. Fear of, fear of anything. It's driven out by the love of God in you. Grow closer to him and fear will be pushed away. And then number five, my eternity is found in love. I think that's just a great statement. Mine, my, everything is found in love. Why don't you stand with me? So we're going to pray, and I, I would like to encourage you to,
to pray two basic things. You figure out how, you figure out what this looks like for yourself. But I'm going to pray for us, pray for myself. But, but here's what I want to encourage you to do, two, two basic things. First, do the best you can to acknowledge God's love for you, which, which, is, which includes some things. His, everything that he is, his holiness, his, his transcendence, his majesticness, his, um, uh, his conviction in our life, all these things are part of it. God, I acknowledge that you love me and that you're trying to do the best for me. I acknowledge that you love me. And then the second thing, and this is where I think it gets difficult, is then do the best you can to, to honestly tell the Lord, I love you. To pray that. You don't have to say it out loud. You can say it in your heart, whatever. But, but tell him, Lord, I love you. I've counseled couples that have been married years, a couple decades sometimes, and they can't remember the last time they told each other they love each other. They can't remember that had a guy tell me one time, I told her when we got married, if it changes, I'll let her know. I'm like, really? We do the same thing with Jesus. Guys, can you honestly tell him, Lord, I love you? And if there's something that is hindering that, just tell him, then forgive me. Wash it clean. Get it out of there so that when I say this, it's real. I love you. Right? Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you for the amazingness of who you are. We thank you for your amazing love for us. Lord, I know, I know that I know that you love every one of us in this room. You love us completely. You love us wholly. Lord, you love us more than we could ever imagine, more than we could know. You love us. God, there are people in this room that struggle with that. So Lord, open their spirit up right now. Help them to see and to know right now that you love them. That that's not not based upon what they've done or haven't done. You love them completely. Lord, help them to see it. Help them to know it. Put it deep in their spirit right now that you love them. And God, I acknowledge right now that you love me. That you made me. That you made me special. That you made me exactly how you wanted me. God, that you did that because you love me. You sent Jesus to die on the cross because you love me. Jesus, you you acknowledged this and, and, and voluntarily came because you love me. Holy Spirit, you are constantly trying to get me to see all of this because you love me. So Lord, I acknowledge that you love me. God, and if anybody's struggling with that right now in this room, break down those walls. Break down the walls that have been built up. That they've built up, that other people have tried to build in their life, that Satan has tried to build in their life. God, I pray against those things. Help them to realize that you love them. In the name of Jesus. And then, God, I want to tell you, I love you love you with my heart, my mind, my spirit, everything about me. Lord, you said that you want us to love you with our bodies too. I put my body as a living sacrifice before you. God, I just love you. Lord, I pray that every person in this room could tell you that right now. And if there's some reason why they can't, 
Again, Lord, I pray that you break down those walls. Whatever's stopping that, whatever's hindering that, whatever they're thinking about themselves or worth or, or whatever. Jesus, we just tell you, we love you. We love you, Jesus. That you're the everything. That you're the everything. Lord, we are so indebted to you. We're so indebted to your grace, your mercy. So Lord, I pray that every person in this room, that, that throughout this week, you'll just continue to remind them, remind them how much you love them, that, that you are pretty amazing, and that they are created in your image, and that you love them. We thank you for this. In the name of Jesus. So I'm going to leave you with this um, I guess exercise or whatever, I don't know. But throughout this week, I may be praying for you, you pray for yourself, pray for friends, people around this building, but pray that God would um, give you opportunities to see his love directly in your life. See examples of this. And I'm not saying passively like the mountains, although those things do declare that. But that you can see actively, Jesus is loving you. He doesn't just love you, he is loving you. And you'll see active examples of that throughout this week. But you gotta look for it. Got to pay attention. Holy Spirit will show you. Um, so before noon tomorrow, God's going to give you the opportunity to let somebody know that Jesus loves them. Do the best you can. Tell somebody how much Jesus loves them. He will honor that in your life. It's a guarantee. So shake somebody's hand. Tell them how glad you are that they are here. And if you're coming to my house tonight, let me know. We'll see you Wednesday night.